would you say if I told you that it's completely possible to build a thriving e-commerce business without spending a dime on ads? Sound interesting? I think you're going to love this episode because I'm bringing on a guest. I want you to meet her. She's done exactly that. So buckle up. Let's jump into the episode. She's going to tell you exactly how she did it. See you in the inside. Welcome to the Roadmap to 50K on Shopify. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of real stores where you're going to learn actionable strategies and tips that will fast track the growth and profitability of your e-commerce business. So buckle up. Welcome your host and Shopify expert, Susan Bradley. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back. You're just going to love this episode. I am here with Inner Circle Famous, Laurel Thompson, who is just the queen of great ideas and shares them all so openly in the Inner Circle. She's uh, definitely a fan favorite. But what a lot of people don't know about you, Laurel, is that uh, early on, you've been like a member since forever. And early on, like you had a massive Facebook hissy fit and just decided (laughs) that you were not going to grow your business using Facebook ads. And so I think a lot of people believe that it's not possible to grow your business without uh, some form of paid traffic. But I am happy to report that you have proven all those people wrong and that uh, I was able to uh, get you to come on the podcast with me and share how you did it because it's kind of amazing and people will want to know. So my friend, thank you for being here. So appreciate it. And I would love it if you could just uh, say hi to everybody. Tell them a little bit about Bea Made. So cool. And also just give us a, a, a quick version of how you got to where you are today. Because it's it's a great story. People will appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm Laurel. My business is called Bea Made. It is a collection of expandable clothing for babies and toddlers that grows with the child so that the clothes last at least three times longer, sometimes more. My mission is to reduce textile waste on the planet, which is one of the most polluting industries in the world. So in the interest of preserving the planet for my child and everyone else's, we have a duty to shop more sustainably and also to use the things that we buy longer, which reduces their carbon and water footprint significantly. So my background has always been in fashion design. I lived in New York City and worked in women's wear for a decade, relocated to Atlanta, which is my hometown and where I live now. And I became a designer for Carter's, which is probably the largest and best known baby clothing company. Um, in the country and, but also like a very fast fashion brand. And so I did that for five years until my daughter was born. Her name is Bea. And, and I kind of realized like when, once I started using the product, I realized how flawed it was. So the the clothes were really adorable and and they actually do a great job with construction. They're well-made, but they just got outgrown so quickly that sometimes I would not have even used them until they were too small. (laughs) I think that happens with so many people, right? For sure. Yeah. I I think it's, I think the time that people really start to realize that is around when your kid is like a year old and I call it the box of shame. Everybody has one. It's a box like at the back of your child's closet of just like trashed 
outgrown clothes. Yeah. And <laughs> that you're like, I'm not know what to do. Been, right? Yeah. <laughs> Two. Sometimes it rides around in your trunk for a few weeks. Like you're like, I don't know. Like, do I like no probably nobody's gonna want these. Now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So good. So really, you started BAMH when you became a parent and realized that everything that you had done in your former career was not what you wanted to do going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think I had an awareness that this was not my life's purpose. Yeah, so cool. Because I know we were talking a little bit earlier. It was kind of an amazing job, but oh, well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just, (laughs) sometimes you just have to walk away from the golden handcuffs. Listen, you, you've been an inner circle member forever. And I clearly remember this is back when we were just a tiny little group of people. And I clearly remember you going through a traffic boot camp and trying to find your audience and lots of conversations about that and how to get more traffic. I remember having a call with you. You booked a strategy call and your number one question was, is this sustainable? Can this be a business? It was also interesting, but one day everything kind of changed for you. And from my perspective, it was one day, perhaps from yours, it it was like a series of events that got you there. But can you take us back to where you were and like what stage your business was at, what you were thinking when you finally just said, okay, I'm done trying to make this ad thing work. There's got to be another way for me. What what was that like? Where were you? Well, when I first joined the inner circle, I think I had just, I was either in the process of, or I had just broken up with Etsy and launched my own site and was at the point that I think a lot of people are at where you're like, well, what now? Like, I feel like, one tiny blip in the middle of this massive ocean of websites. Like, how am I going to drive traffic? And it really felt like Facebook ads were like the only game in town. So I really joined the inner circle with it because I, I think I probably did traffic fast pass with you and then, and then signed up to really learn how to do Facebook ads and really dedicated myself to it. I was fascinated by the platform. I'm really pretty tech savvy as inner circleians will know. And it was fun for me to sort of figure it out. And it was kind of like a game in the beginning. <laughs> it was cheap. It wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> a cheap game. And then until it became an expensive game. And it just felt like it was not moving the needle. I was, I was following the process and I was like getting the results in the sense that the cost was coming down like the way that it should. But It just really didn't feel, for one thing, I think it just felt like it was maybe not totally in alignment with my values as a business owner. This was like around the time of the Cambridge Analytica stuff kind of came out and like maybe we were realizing that Facebook wasn't like the great unifier of people that they had proclaimed to be. So I think it was that in combination with the sort of fact that I just wasn't seeing the results that... I would have liked to see by the, by that point. And you always teach us like do more of what moves the needle. And so when I got into my data, I'm like, the thing that's really working was this almost like random feature that I had been included in that I didn't even know about until it had been out for like six months, but it was a blog in my niche. It's like a blog on sustainability. And they featured Bayamade as one of their top favorite, adorable and affordable, sustainable baby clothes collections. And because that is like a, a very 
popular blog and because they their their site SEO is so on point it took a minute i mean it took from the time it first came out to the time it really started to dominate search results was maybe about 6 months which is about how long it takes but it had really grown to be like the number one driver of traffic to my site wow. and so that's when i realized well the thing that's working is this is this link <laughs> like the single link so was that traffic actually converting? It was, it was converting and the people were so qualified. It's like they yeah. were spending a lot of time on the site. They were signing yeah. up for the newsletter. I could see from my, I used just, you know, for my pop-up. So in the data, I could see that the people that were really signing up for the pop-up were the people coming from this link. And so I just, I said, it's just a combination of all these things. It's like, it just seems like it's, these ads are not really working for me. And this other thing is, even though it didn't, I don't even really know how it happened. I guess I owe it to myself to figure out how it happened and then just do more of that. <laughs> so then once you had that aha moment, what were your next steps? What did you decide to do next? So the first thing I did was I reached out to them and I I just said, hey, how can we do more of this? <laughs> and they said, well, actually, we really only work with, with affiliates. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And, and so they said, do you have an affiliate program? And I said, no. But if I get one, which one do you want me to get? I'll just get whatever you want me to get. And so they said they work with share sale. Okay. Um, so people listening may not know what affiliate marketing is or what share sale is, but essentially affiliate marketing is like you partner with a publication who is going to um, cover your company. And then in exchange, you give them a percentage of your sales that they bring in. And so you, there are many, many different affiliate programs that you can sign up with, but share sale is one of the biggest, even though their website might look like it was built in 2002. (laughs) But I think it's just, it's, it has the broadest youth application, I think. Yeah. And I, I think publishers really like it because all the payments are automated. So many people, meaning that they get paid automatically, they don't have to wait for you to do the payouts. And so a lot of people are intimidated to start out with share sale because there's a pretty significant like joining fee, but the trade-off is that publishers really like it. And then it's also a little bit less work for you because you just, it just happens automatically. They, every time you make a sale, they get paid. And so it really breaks down. This is a route that you'd like to go. And I'm thinking there are many, many people who could use this throughout it that being a member of share sale really breaks down the barrier to entry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's def- getting it set up and running is like a little bit of a task because it's, like I said, the website isn't really the most user-friendly, but once it's done and up and running, it's kind of automated and that's a nice thing. Yeah. So you, you did it because I know you're, you're good at that techie stuff. So you went ahead and signed up with share a sale. And then did you go back to them and say, okay, back? Yeah. That's like the sad part of the story. So I did. And they were like, okay, cool. We'll keep it in mind. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I just want everyone to like breathe that in for a minute because lots of people would just say, oh, now I'm back at square one. I don't know what to do for me. And we can all have a moment. We can all take a moment in doing that. But then what'd you do next? 
<laughs> well, it's not cheap to sign up for share sales. So I'm like, I'm going to need more than one affiliate basically. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I was getting all that traffic for free before, and now they're taking 8% of the sales and, and I'm and not apparently going to do anything else with me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, then I kind of just like hit the pavement and started reaching out to as many publishers as I could. So the reason I really like this type of marketing and I discovered this by accident, but then it turned into a strategy, which is that the reason that that blog brings in such quality traffic is that people are Googling search terms like ethical baby clothes. And the very first thing they see in the search is that article. And so they click on that article and then they click on Bayamade. At that point, their purchase intent is extremely high because they've searched for that thing. So essentially, like I'm giving this organization 8% of my sales for their stellar SEO. Yeah. SEO is not something that I understand. I, I don't even, even when I try to do my product listings, like that is just like the final frontier for me, I guess. I just haven't figured it out. It doesn't despite the fact that I do a lot of copywriting, like SEO is just, I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand the difference between a headline and a paragraph and a, what I, you know, like that whole hierarchy, like, I just don't get it. So, so it's really nice because I can kind of slack on that bit of my site, which like, I mean, that's all my never ending to-do list to address, but it's just not like an emergency. So what I ended up doing Can we just go back to that for a minute? Because I think the other thing that people need to know is that it's not something that you can measure. When you do something on your site for SEO, you really can't measure it. But what you set up instead was something you could measure, right? You can measure the conversion from- Yeah, um, that's that's a great point. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a mystery. I mean, I guess you could probably measure the difference in your Google search result traffic, but you'll really never know what. Right. Somebody else could have said something about you somewhere else that you don't even know. And yeah, that, that could be that traffic too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I love your approach to this is that, okay, SEO, these people are valuable to me. How am I going to find them? And that was your solution. It's really good, Laurel. Yeah. So then the strategy really just became like doing the searches myself. So all of the search terms that I, you know, if, if I were to sit down and do an audit of my site of SEO, what are the search terms that I would want to rank for and who's already ranking for them? So, you know, about once a month or so, I'll just sit down at Google and cause those results change all the time and the, the Google algorithm changes all the time. So I'll just sit down about once a month and just Google those search terms. And then I'll just reach out to like the top five posts. And then I haven't done this yet, but it's it would also be helpful because Pinterest is kind of the other ser- big search engine. So do the same thing on Pinterest. So ethical baby clothes, organic baby clothes, sustainable baby, whatever the terms are that I would like to rank for, just search those terms and reach out to those people. And I have just like a template email that I send that has some images. It has a link to a Dropbox folder of more images that they might want to use. Has information about my business and then it has a link to my affiliate program. So the email will say something along the lines of, Hi, I'll personalize it to whoever I'm writing, but you know, hi, first name. I might say something about their blog and what's great about it and why I think it's a good fit. I'll sort of pitch the brand the way you would to like an editor or to a journalist and then say, Hey, I would love to have you as an affiliate. Here's a link to my program. And so what they can do from there is they can just follow that link. They can sign up for, if they're already on share sale and most publishers are, they just add you as an affiliate, you approve them. 
And then you're kind of off to the races and sometimes they'll respond and sometimes they won't, but that doesn't seem to have much to do with whether or not they start working with you. They might actually just do a feature and you don't even really know about it until you start seeing the traffic come in. So it's, it works pretty well. And it's a good way to just piggyback off of other people's hard work on, on SEO and other people's Google kind of rewards people, websites that have a lot of backlinks and stuff. So if you're not in that game because you're doing other stuff, you can just piggyback on people who are. So that's so cool. So you just took all your energy that you, uh, had focused on the traffic that you were generating through ads and you just shifted that energy over to a different strategy, which for you was connecting with people who already had your perfect audience. Yeah, that was the first thing that I did. And I'll be honest, like that process takes a very long time. And I think if anybody is listening to this podcast and wondering how they can just not have any ad spend and succeed, like you're trading dollars for time. <laughs> like, sure, you might not be paying your money to these ads platforms, but you're going to be spending time and energy on something else. So it's not free. And it's not fast. It's not fast. It's really not fast. And SEO takes a lot of time. So you're going to spend a lot of time. You're going to hear a lot of no's or crickets or sometimes people will write you back and they want you to pay for a placement. Don't do that. If they don't want to join your program, then don't mess with them. So it does take time. And I mean, I would say like four to six months is probably like after you get a feature and the piece is published, four to six months is like the soonest that you're even going to start seeing any results. And then it might even be another year before that post pops to the top if it's going to of the search results. Okay. So it is a long game. Yeah, but so much of what we do in e-commerce is, and that's why it takes some grit to get the results you want, because emotionally it's difficult when people say no and you've poured your heart into something or you've poured your heart into something and the numbers aren't there. And so it's a long game we play. It is. And I think it also is just something that you have to build into like your things that you do. It's like, if you know that every first Tuesday of the month, I'm going to sit down and send these five emails out. Then if you don't hear anything, like you kind of forget about it. Yeah. You you don't take it personally that they don't write back because you just do it once a month and you just know that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. So you systemize it. Exactly. And then the other, really like the next step after getting that process in place was making sure that my website was optimized to sort of catch people because when you're not doing any paid ads, you're also not doing any remarketing. So you basically have like one shot to capture these people. And we know, I mean, my price point's pretty high, um, especially for baby clothes. So we know that people usually do not make a purchase on their first visit. And so it was my next priority just to sort of make sure that I was optimizing the places and ways in which I could get people back to my site. Tell us about that. What does that look like? Yeah. So it was a lot of testing and really like going through my website with the eye of a shopper and thinking about what they're trying to get into their minds and what they, what actions they're doing and what they're going to be looking for. And just giving them like a million different subtle ways to give me their email address. And so the number one most productive 
way that I've found is a gated my sale page. I may have heard this suggested on a podcast at some point and tried it to good, really good success. But oh, the reason I knew that that was important is that I was watching Hot Jar recordings. So if anybody listening doesn't know, Hot Jar and Lucky Orange are services that allow you to sort of <laughs> literally spy <laughs> on your website visitors. Yeah. Um, that it makes recordings of your website visits and say, so, and it makes these sort of heat maps that show you like where people are clicking most. So I had watched my hot jar recordings and I could see that people were really going pretty quickly going to my sale collection for obvious reasons. I mean, you see expensive baby clothes and you're like, well, what do they have on sale? I like this, but you yeah. know, what do they have on sale? And so what I ended up doing was using a pop-up through just, Uno, but you can use other services too, like locksmith, or I don't know, there's other apps you can use, but you essentially custom code it. Tira, Tira. Well, you, yes, Tira can custom code it, but you essentially throw up a roadblock before people can enter that page where they have to give you their email address. And so the language on my page is something like our sample sale is for insiders only and sign up and you can view this collection. So that works really well. That page has, that pop-up has about between a 25 and 30% engagement rate, which as pop-ups go is really good. It's crazy good. The reason that I think it's so good is that the buyer intent is very high. People like, they know they like the product and they want to see, like their curiosity gets them. They want to see what's, oh, and I think it's, I changed the name. It doesn't just say sale anymore. It says under $50. So it's the under $50 page. So they kind of know what they're going to get, but they want to see what's in there. Yeah. So I will say if anybody does this, you need to make sure that that collection is pretty well stocked all the time. Otherwise people will get a little ornery that they just gave up their email address and there wasn't much there. Yeah. The other thing that I think our, our people who are listening need to understand is that average rates, engagement rates, you called it, for pop-ups are really across our industry are about 3%. And so that engagement rate is somebody dropping their email and, and clicking submit. And so in the inner circle, like we're all aiming for 5 to 9%. So when you sit there and say, you're getting 35%. Oh, not 35, 25 to 30. 25 to 30. Okay, I'm making it up now. Uh, 25 to 30%. That's so far beyond the scale of what uh, most of us can expect that it's a huge clue because it comes with way more intent than some of the other things that convert better. Like we all know spin the wheel converts better than a pop-up, but I don't think it has the intent that what you're doing or a giveaway converts better. But 25% with that kind of intent is like, it's just the best thing ever. Can we just say? It's great. And I mean, I haven't really done the math in terms of like, because most people have a traditional pop-up that's going to pop up for any new visitor to your site, right? So like 2% of every single visitor to your site is what it is. But like, I haven't actually done the math to say like, it's this percentage of my total visitors. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, you do have to be realistic and say, but, but the way I look at it is like, this is 25 to 35% of the most qualified, interested people yeah. and the rest of the people I don't really care about. Yeah. So I always uh, create a strategy every once in a while to drive more traffic to that page. You could. Exactly. Yeah. So that was the first thing that I did. And then I wanted to look at other ways 
outside of a traditional pop-up because like, because that's sort of like my main lead generator right there. Mm -hmm. I didn't want people to be getting blocked at every time they try to do something by another pop-up. So that's the one that is the only like traditional pop-up that I have. Everything else is a little more subtle. (laughs) So the other pop-up that I have that does really well is a video pop-up which it doesn't actually pop unless you click a tab. So in Justin, you can't do this in Clavio yet, but you can sort of fake it, but we'll just say you can't do it. But in just, instead of showing a pop-up, you can show a tab that's off to the side that if someone clicks that tab, then it brings up the pop-up. And so this is another trick that I learned on some podcasts that I listen to. Cause I just, whenever I'm in the studio, I just geek out listening to podcasts. This why I always listen to this one first, of course. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I learned this on a, on a podcast somewhere, but I made a really quick video of myself just kind of saying hello and then explaining what people can expect from my newsletter and then also making them an offer. But it's really just like, hi, I'm Laurel. I'm the founder of Bayamade. I send an email about once a week, all with like helpful information or deals and discounts or early ask access. And I, because I have to keep the lights on every once in a while, I'll send you some sales. So it's really just kind of setting up expectations. But I think because that is so personal and intimate, that pop-up also, now that one does get about 30 to 35% engagement rate. Wow. So that is of people who clicked the tab, which says $10 off because that's the offer. 30 to 35% of those people will actually get on the list. And I bet your engaged conversion, like your sales from that one are really good too. Yeah, it's pretty good. Although, I mean, same kind of deal. It's like, I have a pretty high price point item. So that offer gets used a lot, but not necessarily always as soon as people sign up for that. Sometimes it's on the, it's on the back end on the funnel. And more than uh, five minutes to purchase. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, so that's the second one. And then there's more. (laughs) I think people are going to be like beyond excited to hear this. There are more ways, subtle ways to get people on your list. So another of the ways that I really like, especially because like my, my business is still pretty much handmade. So I have a little bit of like a chronic inventory problem. (laughs) I often have like sold out variants or sold out sizes. So I added the Clavio back in stock notification to all of my product pages so that if somebody wants to get a 2T, but it's sold out, they can click a button that's just underneath the buy now button or add to cart button. And it will prompt them to drop their email address so that they get a notification when that style is restocked. So that's another one. I also have them on my collections pages. I customized my collections pages using an app called PageFly, which I swear by. It's a page builder app. So good. Um, It's it's really good. It's super easy to use. It's beautiful. People compliment my landing pages all the time and it's hundred percent just these PageFly templates and it's pretty affordable. I think the basic one is like $19 a month. Yes, because I just looked at it yesterday. Yeah, money very well spent. And that's all I pay, but because I signed up like so early that I just, they just grandfathered me in. So I actually get the whole like Rolls Royce package for $19. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. But you know, I think I've proselytized about them so much. It's worth it. So I customized my collections pages with another just embedded form that says, Hey, is your size sold out? We restock all the time. Just sign up here and you'll get a notification. So that's another place. 
I also did, I have now going a couple of different Clavio flyouts that will capture people. So I have one on the cart page in case people did not already opt in somewhere else on the site. When they go to checkout, they'll get prompted to claim that $10 offer. And now I'm getting into SMS marketing. So I have a few that are targeted towards people who are already on my list or people who have already purchased, and then they get prompted to sign up for SMS. So basically what I'm saying is my entire site on almost every single page, pretty much every page, there is an opportunity for people to sign up for my list for whatever reason they might be looking for at that moment. Without being obnoxious. Without being obnoxious. And it's something you have to be really, really conscious of. So, I mean, I I really only recommend one pop-up. Mine is the gated sale page. I will never show them another pop-up that they did not expect just because that's kind of the kiss of death. When people are, when they feel like they're out of control, like things keep happening on the screen that yeah. they don't expect. They didn't, the users, especially on mobile, they don't like that. No. Yeah, the kiss of death for sure. So you've created this whole little strategy. First strategy of finding the right people and setting yourself up so that you can uh, scale that by approaching more and more of your right people. And you can measure it, you can track and measure. So you can actually identify by using Google Analytics and your share sale account to see which people are the most valuable to you. So that's all super good. And then you've put in the strategy to to get as many of those people on your list so that you can reach out to them anytime. And so, because you know that most of them aren't going to convert on their first visit. And so that's been your growth strategy. And I know it took a while to see results, but I'm trying to think, like, have you been doing this for close to two years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, so good. And so let's talk about where you're at now. Can you bring us up to speed? We know where you were when you said no more to the Facebook ads. Where are you now? (laughs) I've completed the circle. (laughs) (laughs) I love how honest you are. It's just so fun. (laughs) I know I would really love to tell you that I just broke up with Zuckerberg and I never went back, but that's not true. Uh, You have an amazing business now. So let's share. Okay. So I decided to swallow my pride (laughs) after talking so much smack about Facebook. I I decided that this year I really do want to grow. And I feel like the success of the last year, especially, I mean, I know a lot of us in e-commerce had sort of like banner years last year. That was me included. I was like ready to like the pandemic started and I was like, well, that was fun. I guess it's over now. I'll have to find some other job. And then my cash register just started ringing and ringing and ringing. So last year was really good for me. And I think it finally sort of gave me the confidence that I needed to scale. I'm a very, very cautious person. I do not like spending money unless I'm really confident that I'm going to get my money's worth. So I really did need that kind of boost in confidence. I mean, it's like that conversation I had with you way back when, and I'm like, is this even like a viable business? Oh, listen, I just said to Leona the other day, the sock thing I'm doing. You think it's going to work? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll have those. Um, but I mean, last year you had an amazing year. I mean, you're like, I have money in the bank. I have customers. I have yeah. all those things. So yeah, I, re- I think I really needed that yeah. to like give me the confidence to grow. So this year I thought, all right, I feel like I'm prepared to do this now. I understand a sales funnel. 
now. Like I get it that I might be paying for a whole bunch of people who are totally not interested, but I also like understand that. And I understand how to get those people back. So, so I decided to start some Facebook ads again. <laughs> and I did try and I did traffic boot camp like a good little inner circle student. And I found my audiences. And what the thing that I found that was so different from last time around was that all of that work that I had done over the last two years made a huge difference to my click cost, yeah. huge difference. Yeah. I think first time around, I probably was spending, I don't think I ever got my cost per click below like 24 cents or so. And right now I'm hovering around 16. I see this time and time again, that Facebook ads or probably any kind of ads, even Google shopping, I would say it, they do work, but they really work when you've done the other part of the work. When you have like when you have that deep connection with the people who are who you're for and you've taken the time to build all the assets that you have, that's when they pour gas on a fire. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think I think a lot of that is the messaging that I've refined over time. Like I did reliable revenue this year and I got over myself and was like, well, five to seven visits in a week means I've got to send an email every single day for a week and I'm just gonna do it we'll see. But I I do think like all of that stuff, all of those pieces coming together. And I do think that like realistic expectations are super important. Like Facebook ads are not a magic bullet. Like I think if I had it all to do over again, I maybe wouldn't have started out the way that I did. Like, I I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because it happened. Let's talk about that though. So, so what would advice would you give you two years ago? What would advice would you give the Laurel two years ago who had this beautiful business, who had a real mission, who wanted to make it work, but was questioning it. And I mean, you found your path, but what would you say to yourself two years ago, if you could now? Well, I don't want to like go out into left field here, but this is really what I would have told myself. And whenever people talk to me about starting a business, this is what I tell them. Find the people first. like find the people that you think you can help, that you are qualified to help, that it's your special zone of genius to help those people and that you are inspired to help find them first and then build your product and your business around those people. Because I think of all the sort of mistakes and failures that I've had in my business, really the first one was addressing the product first and trying to find the audience second. And that is why the ads didn't work for me. Because I was just, I had a product that I liked, but I didn't know who else would like it. I mean, that's why I was having a dark night of the soul. Like, is this even a viable product? Because I just wasn't connected to the people yet. So really my advice to baby entrepreneur Laurel is like, find the people first, develop a product with them, let them have input and insight into the process. I mean, you always quote me saying this, but don't make your product in a vacuum. You quote Don't. Don't sit in your studio and tinker along with something and then go, ta-da, yep. and to, a, to a bunch of crickets. Uh, <laughs> you know? So true, though. And, and, and so for everyone who's listening who's like, well, I'm past that point, including, including me, like a lot about what you're saying, I, can, I think have, I have done with the doggo. But, but it's not too late to change. I don't think you're ever past that point. 
I don't think, I think as long as you have a business that doesn't just sell one product, like, okay, if you sell like a facial cleanser and that's the only thing you sell, yes, that's a ship has sailed for you probably. But if you are a business that brings in new products regularly or changes colors seasonally, it is never, never, never too late to start that process of including your audience in your decisions in your business. Yep. Love it. It's hard. It's hard for people to make the first move on that. And I know you, we could talk about that in another episode for sure about how you've gleaned so much information from groups. But, but I think that it's hard just because it's we're our fear of being rejected or failure or whatever. But once you see how willing people are to actually help you just because they are, it encourages you to ask more and do more. Yeah. I mean, I always have to remind myself that people are really just like generally helpful and good and, and they love to give their opinions. And so you don't need to incentivize that. Like people will just help you. Like you don't need to, you don't need to offer them a discount to take your survey. You don't have to promise them some special thing to tell you which color they like. Like you just ask them and they really just appreciate the reward to them is being heard and being a part of the process. Yeah. Like if they are connected to you, if they're already customers, if they like your product, they joined your group, they followed your page, they follow your Instagram, whatever, they have some relationship with you already. It's enough. And they will give you their opinion and it will just like, it will strengthen their bond to you. And you just need to be grateful and humble. Absolutely. I mean, I really think, I think as, as e-commerce entrepreneurs, the way all of us in the inner circle are, but also probably your podcast listeners too, most of us are solopreneurs. Our authenticity is our superpower. I love that. We are like, we can be the face. I know not a lot of people are not necessarily comfortable, like literally being the face of their brand, but your voice is the face of your brand. And you can like Colgate toothpaste, like can't connect to their audience the way that you can connect with yours. Like you, you, you get to leverage that connection and that personal relationship the way that other businesses can't. So use it. (laughs) And I think that's so true. I mean, gosh knows that I'm not perfect uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But one of the things I hear over and over again uh, from our members or from people who are listening to the podcast is, I love it that you just tell tell it the way it is, like that it's real and everything you do isn't perfect. Clearly, it's not all perfect. But I think, yeah, you're right. I appreciate that in others too, that that is that authenticity and that connection with somebody who feels approachable and like somebody that you might want to have lunch with. Just be that person. And the other advantage of doing it that way is like, I just like, Anytime it's luckily for me, it almost never happens, but anytime I have a customer service problem, like my customers are like the kindest, most patient people ever. And I really believe it's because I put my face everywhere. Like they know that when they send me a message that they're talking to me and they're not rude. Yeah. I mean, never occasionally I get someone freaking out, but like for the most part, I even just, I I just ordered new thank you cards for my packages. And I even put my face on the back of the thank you card. Look at you go. Cause I'm like, I just want you to know who sewed this for you. (laughs) And it's always like a good, a good opportunity to get showered up and do your hair. There's that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. 
So listen, I know that lots of people, I mean, you're all, you're so present in our group anyway, but I know that there are going to be people that want to have a look at what you're doing, maybe connect with you a little bit. And so I have two questions. The first question is, where can people find you? And the second question is, what's next for Bayamade? Okay, so people can find me at my website, which is bayamade.com, and that is spelled B-E-Y-A-M-A-D-E.com, or on social, same username, Bayamade. I am on Facebook business, but I mostly use Instagram, and so that's where you can find me hanging out sort of daily, for better or worse. It's not my favorite channel, but... I'm waiting for the next frontier in social channels. And yeah, that's that's the best best place to reach me. If you have any questions, you can always DM me on Instagram. Sure. And, and what what's next? next? <laughs> Thanks for being a good question. I, I have been in the very slow, painful process of transitioning from really a handmade business that's made by me and two other seamstresses to factory produced. So I've identified a factory that I'd like to work with that's local to me. And I'm in interviews right now with production managers, people that someone that can sort of take over the nitty gritty process of having a sewn product manufactured. So that's in the immediate future. And then really I'm, I'm looking for a business partner. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You have identified a gap. I have identified a skill gap for sure. And so I decided last year that, that taking on a sort of co-founder business partner is something that I want. So, so that's, that's the next frontier for you. That is the next frontier. So cool. Listen, thank you so much, my friend. Now, listen, I want everyone to go to the show notes and here's why. Because first of all, that we'll make sure that we put a link uh, to Laurel's site. And I am going to ask her for a bad selfie so that you can all see her in person. But the other thing is that she shared something with me about her former life that just had me howling. And so I'm going to share what it is. <laughs> so everybody can see a whole other side of you, Laurel. And look out, there might be some invitations to perform coming here. <laughs> I'm retired. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, thank you so much for all you do across all of our platforms, for being here on the podcast, for sharing so generously uh, in the inner circle, for helping me create messaging and all you do for the social sales girls. I so appreciate it. So welcome to finally have you here. Yeah. (laughs) King, go see, go look at Bayamade. It's beautiful. Uh, Say hi to Laurel and I'm going to see you all next week. Hey, listen, if you like what we're working on here at the Roadmap to 50K and it's helping you get clarity on your next steps, I think you really have to check out our inner circle. You know, it is just an amazing place to learn how to build your business the right way. And you get to do it with a wonderful group of store owners that support each other and will cheer you on. You know, in the inner circle, our only purpose is to help our members get results And because of that, we actually have dedicated coaches that are fully trained and available to work one-on-one with you. And we offer that to our members at crazy affordable prices, because I know that sometimes you just need a little extra help to get past a roadblock so that you can move on and make progress again. So if this sounds good to you, I want you to head on over to thesocialsalesgirls.com forward slash inner dash circle and get on the wait list. 
we will send you a lesson so that you can see what's waiting for you on the inside. And we'll also invite you to join us the next time we are open to take new members. So listen, friends, that's all. Thank you so much for spending your time with me and I will see you next week.